And welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. and Monday mornings at 1 a.m. on this fine station, as well as podcasts available through SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and many, many others. And uh, we hope that you will go to the podcasts because that's where you're really going to get uh, the meat of the information. That's not to say that I do any editing other than uh, putting uh, the final touches on a 50-minute program. I don't edit interviews. I do them as if they're live, and unless the guest says, hey, you know, I wish I hadn't said that, uh, could you take that out? I'd say, sure. I, you know, I don't want to embarrass or get you uh, linked in with the wrong crowd or ideas or what have you. Sure, I'll take care of that. And uh, then we will put it up and make it available. Uh, But other than that, you want to go to the uh, podcast because sometimes we talk longer than 50 minutes. Sometimes it's hard to stop because uh, the information is just so incredible. And today is going to be no exception. And if you like uh, what our guests are talking about and you want more information and you're listening to the SoundCloud podcast, Click on that little grocery cart or click on the, their name uh, in, the, in that field and uh, you can go straight to their uh, website and uh, find out more about them. Continue your evolutionary process. Connect with them. Whatever uh, you need to do. Uh, and then, of course, all of their information is placed, as I like to say, on our giant smorgasbord table where you can take what resonates with you, uh, walk away, ponder it. You know, cogitate on it, what have you. Come back to the table from time to time, would you please? I think that you'll you'll enjoy what you're finding. And maybe uh, what didn't resonate with you yesterday might today. So check it out. And, and if you like what we're doing here on Tell Me Your Story and you'd like to support us financially, we'd greatly appreciate that. We do have a PayPal and Patreon account so that you can send us through secure means uh, your financial support. We'll also take energetic support as well. We are uh, grateful in every form of support that we get. And uh, thank you. Thank you for those who have financially supported us as well as energetically. And thank you for those who will. Uh, as we continue doing these programs, we uh, are trying to continue uh, the the efforts of um, enlightening and inspiring and encouraging, as well as educating and forming uh, you uh, during 2020, this year of perfect vision. 2020, the year of perfect vision, where you are going to uh, want to go within Well, our guest is going to help us to do that. She's a returning guest, actually, and we are very excited to have her with us. It's not always easy to get some of these folks back a second or third time. Uh, I ought to know. I'm trying to get Greg Braden back on this program, and it ain't easy, folks. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's as you as you become bigger and more well known, <laughs> it, it it makes it a little harder. But nonetheless, my special guest today, and I was chatting with her about this before we started. Um, I just remembered and was reminded back in December of this year, of last year, I should say, of 2019, that I signed up as a minister on the Universal Life Church website. So I've been a minister for 10 years and didn't even know it, and I forgot all about that. And so uh, I can actually put Reverend Dr. D uh, as my moniker. Well, my guest has a Ph.D., so 
She's much more certified than I am, and we thank her so much for joining us. Uh, I won't uh, say Reverend Doctor, but uh, Reverend Stephanie Redfeather, Ph.D., thank you so much for joining us. You are a shamanic priestess, author, a teacher, especially of the book we talked about the first time, and that was The Evolutionary Path. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be back. Uh, you have a, a, a document, shall we say, that you have available on your website. We'll give that out in just a moment, as a matter of fact, that people can download, they can look at. It's a PDF having to do, it's, it's still along the same lines of the evolutionary empath, and we're going to talk a little bit about that again here. Uh, but it has to do with embodiment. And uh, uh, first of all, uh, what is... What is that concept you're talking about in terms of embodiment? Yes. What is this word you speak of? What is this uh, word? It, <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, the, the shortest definition that I can give, kind of the, the bite-size uh, way of introducing this, is I think of uh, the closest synonym as being present. So if you are present in the moment, then chances are you are fully present on all levels. So you're mentally present, you're physically in your body, emotionally, spiritually, energetically present. But embodiment, I think of as stringing together moments of presence over time. And it's, it's really about um, managing the sort of uh, confounding dichotomy of being both spirit and matter uh, at the same time, being a spiritual being, having a human experience. And so many uh, ancient religious and spiritual traditions often put more emphasis on the the upward direction, the transcendence and, and rising above the emotions and rising above the flesh or the sins of the body. And I don't subscribe to that. I believe embodiment is just as important because otherwise, why would we have incarnated into a body in the first place? Well, I have to tell you, that's a question I continually ask myself. Uh, why in the world did I choose to leave the one uh, and come to the dualistic world to play this, what I, <laughs> in my, in my ego-centered frustration, mm -hmm. uh, say is this silly, crazy, whacked out place, knowing that when I'm done here, whenever that is, I go back to the one and I sit here going, what the heck am I doing? This is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And I got into a conversation with someone the other day. Uh, about some of the craziness uh, that's going on. And, um, and this person said, so what you're telling me is basically that we shouldn't be doing what we did uh, in this particular instance, blah, 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 blah. And it doesn't matter what it is. It's just, and I said, absolutely right, we shouldn't have done that. Because it's the same thing we keep doing over and over again, and we keep thinking that it's going to make a difference. And people before... Uh, before this decision was made and this action was taken, there were other people uh, going back uh, 16 years who decided they wouldn't do it because they didn't want the unintended consequences. But now we did it now and we've had unintended consequences. I said, this has to stop. This just has to, you know, and I, I got a little, got a little irate uh, because that's kind of how I feel. It's like, I, 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 you hear this, this, this concept of, um, you know, uh, uh, if we refuse to learn from history, we're doomed to repeat it. And we keep doing it 
over it, and I'm just going, I want out. Uh, I know this was an e-ticket ride, and for those of you who don't know what that means, uh, look it up uh, in reference to Walt Disney and Disneyland and an e-ticket, okay? Uh, e-ticket ride, uh, I want off. Stop. I don't care if it's careening down the Matterhorn, downhill. Stop. I want off because this is ridiculous. I mean, it's it's not that I'm afraid. It's not that of any... I, I, it's like, it's just sheer stupidity. And that's one of the things that... I want to touch upon when one is empathetic, this evolutionary empath that you talk about in your book, as well as this issue of embodiment. And and I will jump back to embodiment in a moment. But there are people, my wife is one, who is an empath. But she is one of those who didn't know she was an empath. And it was so frustrating for her. We've been together 22 years. And in the early days... She would come home crying. She would come home frustrated. She would come home all kinds of emotion and wondered what was wrong with her. Now, I'm not intuitive in that. I wasn't intuitive in that way, but I just knew it wasn't her. Mm-hmm. I says, I know you're having problems with these people at work, but it's not you. It's them. Okay. But I, I you know, I was correct, but I didn't know why I was right. And so this is one of the problems that empaths have, but... When you have all of this craziness going on, um, was it the, the, the group from HeartMath, for example? They had these devices scattered around the world right before, actually before then, but at the time, before uh, September 11th, 2001. And they noticed a spike in whatever the energy waves were. I, I, I wish I could remember how to describe them. I haven't had them on in a while, so I need to get a refresher course. But they noticed this spike. Well, I would venture that empaths around the world probably felt that shortly before uh, the planes crashed into the towers and the Pentagon and so forth. How does an empath come to grips with being and knowing and then protecting oneself from all of that energy that's going on around them? Mm-hmm. Um, I wish it was a short and simple answer, and and just because it's not doesn't mean that it's impossible to do. But my belief uh, in that when we are trying to make a change, change behavior, heal, the first step is always acknowledgement of what is. And so we are unconscious that we're an empath until we're conscious that we're an empath. And once we become conscious, now it's in our awareness. Now we can work with it. So nothing is going to change or get better, if you will, until we first acknowledge, hey, I'm an empath. Hey, I have these sensitivities. Hey, I process energy and emotions differently than other people. From there, it's just a matter of what, you know, what kind of hurts the most? It's sort of like triaging, you know, what what is going on in your personal life? Do you need to work on boundaries first? Or do you need to focus on clearing and managing your own energy field? Or do you need to focus on doing some inner healing work, you know, so that all of those those things are kind of part of it. But it is, it takes practice to own and become responsible for our own energy field, our own bubble, if you will, or cocoon. And we make choices about how we can interact with or respond to what's going on around us. And so, 
you know, some of the choices that I've made over time. I stopped watching the news close to 20 years ago. Um, I'm, I meter out my time in large crowds. Like I'm, you know, don't do a lot of big social groups or, um, you know, going to theme parks and amusement parks or, you know, parades or places where there's lots of humanity. I, I pick and choose. I make decisions about um, how much to expose myself to and when. So those are just, you know, a few examples. But it, it, it will take some time and some skill, but it's absolutely doable. So we were told by one, I guess you'll, I could call her an intuitive, that one of the methods of protection, so to speak, or at least to minimize the effects of being bombarded until you can sort of, I guess, get a grasp on it and understand it, uh, was sort of like a, one of them was a physical thing. It was a, actually a, a, like a smoky quartz crystal that if you carried that with you, that would help. It would be sort of a, a partial shield that would go up to help protect you from the, the bombarding energies from other people. Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, it seems to me like the, the better solution in that respect would probably be uh, to reach an understanding of who you really are. Now, is everybody... Uh, does everybody have the capacity to be an empath in this context that we're talking? Empathy is one thing, but being an empath, that's, that's a whole other thing. Mm-hmm. You know, my belief is that we are all born with the template for this. I believe that as human beings, it is natural for us to perceive subtle energies, to communicate with Everything that has life force, not just other people, but but any sentient being, animals, plants, trees, rocks, bodies of water, you know, that it is natural for us to um, to experience and navigate multiple dimensions of consciousness. So I believe that template exists in everybody, but then there are multiple factors that determine if that gets turned on or expressed. One of them is what are the choices you made at a soul level about the experiences you wanted to have in this incarnation? Two, human free will. You know, we may make some decisions at a soul level and get down here on earth and say, nope, not doing it. (laughs) You know, and then there's also the influence of our, our family, our church, our teachers in terms of what are their values, what are their belief systems? All of those things we then internalize, and that's all of all of that is going to affect if our empathic nature sort of remains intact, or if it gets squelched, or if it gets buried, you know, etc. All right, so let's jump back to uh, uh, embodiment and this mm-hmm. uh, this particular we'll call it an article or paper, if you will. Um. How did that insight come to you? Mm-hmm. Uh, I was at a ceremonial gathering a number of years ago, uh, and it was uh, an overnight event, and we were all going to get up the next morning, and uh, it was, I don't remember if it was the solstice or an equinox, uh, but we were going to get up, go to the ceremonial grounds, welcome in, you know, the celestial event that was occurring. And the night before, the convener of the event got triggered, and 
kind of regressed and became sort of childish and defensive and and stormed out and so the rest of us are looking at each other uncomfortably like okay what do we do now and so the next morning you know she came back the next morning we're, we're all up uh doing ceremony and it just hit me like a lightning bolt what is the point of all of our spiritual practice if we can't communicate to the person standing next to us if we can't identify and speak our truth. And so it really hit me that, you know, this, this, my favorite quote of we are spiritual beings having a human experience, we can't discount the human experience. We, we can't just be a mystic on a mountaintop and avoid how it'll have the messiness of life. And so I, I don't value embodiment over the spiritual practices, but I focus on them more because I feel like sort of collectively we're out of balance, you know, like we're not spending enough time focusing on aspects of our, our physical experience. And I'm not talking about, um, you know, just giving into every desire and being narcissistic and all of those sorts of things, but I mean, actually inhabiting ourselves. No, but that's so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, that, and that's a choice. Yeah. And, and and at the same time, unfortunately, what ends up happening is that uh, while having all that fun, you end up, uh, in many instances, alienating a lot of people around you. And of course, the whole point, in my perspective, one of the points of being here is to establish community, to establish those relationships, because it's those relationships that, that are going to make the biggest difference in your uh, evolutionary process, in your personal spiritual growth, if you will, uh, your awakening uh, as far as uh, raising your consciousness. That's assuming that, you know, you can get past the whole ego thing. And, you know, we all have our good days and our bad days in that mm. regard. What in particular do you want uh, people to take away, let's say, from this article? By the way, uh, if, am I correct? Is it Blue Star? Uh, the, the website, Blue Star? <laughs> yes, bluestartemple.org. Bluestartemple.org, which you are the founder thereof. Um, yes. And that's where people can find this article. Yeah, and, and I would call it a document. It's, document. it's actually okay. a manual uh, okay. that I created. It's a 50-page workbook. So it explains all of these concepts of embodiment, but it's also meant for you to work through. So there are... Um, questions for you to answer and assessments to take and, mm -hmm. and opportunities for journaling uh, on, you know, what your resonances or, or experience with certain subjects I introduce. So it is, it is a, it's, it's kind of a workshop in a PDF and it is currently 20% uh, off mm -hmm. uh, of its regular price on my website. You can download this PDF and of course, um, uh, it uh, basically says here on the website that our level, level of embodiment determines how present we are in our bodies and how, how much of our own life force energy we have access to. And most people, uh, they walk around with some degree of disembodiment and don't even know it. I would think that one of the best examples of that, we've all done it, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, if this is not a, if this is not a, a fair or a correct example, uh, correct me on that. We get in the car, 
we start the car, we back out of the driveway, and the next thing we know, we're at our destination. And we have no clue as to how we got there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, um, we went on autopilot because it's, it's an automatic thing. We've done it enough times that, that we can sort of check out a little bit. So, yeah, you know, being, being disembodied or being partially out of your body, if you will, um, can show up like that, being, um, being checked out or spacey. Um, having trouble focusing, lack of motivation or desire. It can show up physically. Like if you're not fully in your body, sometimes people will be clumsy or uncoordinated or have frequent injuries or accidents because their body just feels sort of like this clumsy meat sack, you know, <laughs> that they that they don't feel comfortable inside of. Um, and, you know, let, let me also say that leaving our bodies is not in and of itself bad. It is a coping mechanism that our psyche employs in times of trauma or abuse or uh, horrible accidents. You know, like people have talked about, they get in a car accident and they're aware of their consciousness hovering over, you know, they can see themselves in the ambulance or see themselves in the uh, operating room. So, you know, when something very threatening or dangerous or painful is happening, we retract our life force energy out of our body on purpose to protect ourselves from the pain of what's happening. Mm. But what tends to happen is over time, it becomes a way of being. It's not just something we employ in the moment or, you know, in the moment, whether, whether that's a few minutes or hours or days or weeks, it becomes our operating system. And so I discovered that I, you know, when I first started working with energy, that I, I had a natural ability to tune into people's energy fields. And so I noticed that for, for most people, let me back up and say this, when we are born, our life force energy enters in through our crown and it's like filling up a glass of water from a pitcher. So the water's coming in from the top, but it fills up from the bottom up. And so we kind of inhabit, if you will, our chakras get turned on from, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And so when we retract our energy, it's like we're pulling up our roots. We're pulling up our connection from the earth and we're bringing our energy up out of the first, the second, the third chakra, and, and are mostly residing in the upper chakras. And, you know, my understanding of work with the chakras, the lower chakras are more dense. That is where more of the kind of painful, deep, traumatic experiences of the human existence reside. And so it's harder to be in our bodies fully. It's harder to be all the way down into those lower chakras and into our legs and connecting our roots to the earth. The upper chakras are more expansive. They're lighter. They're more sort of spiritual, if you will. So it's, it's easier, a little easier to escape um, mm -hmm. and reside up, up in the upper chakras. And that's an interesting way of putting that, to escape. And yet, more, uh, as I have been doing these interviews and talking with people <clears throat> about not only chakras and, of course, energy, and that we're all connected and so on and so forth. And I've always believed 
though not necessarily consciously, but especially in the last 20, 30 years. Nature is our greatest teacher, with only one exception, and that is going within, listening to the still small voice. Um, that if we would just observe nature and how she functions, how she works, watch the animals and the plants. If you can, if if you could sit and watch, literally watch the grass grow. Um, uh, we have we are so blessed that where we live, where we have a family of deer. Matter of fact, my wife uh, made me aware, uh, and I just turned around to look out the the screened-in porch, and there were five deer outside our window eating the mm-hmm. grasses that have have grown, the green grasses. Uh, we've had uh, bobcats, bears, uh, we obviously have squirrels, blue jays, and uh, little, um, uh, what do you call them, titmouses, I, mice, 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 I don't know. Anyway, uh, lots of all kinds of different birds, crows, and so on and so forth. And it's just wonderful to sit outside, or even on the screened-in porch, and just watch and listen to the sounds. Sometimes it's just the wind blowing through the trees, whether it's the oak trees and or the pine trees. Um, and we don't do that enough. And that to me seems like that would be part of this, this conversation you're having with embodiment as opposed to turning on the TV, uh, turning on the multiple screens that we have, uh, to all of the different news channels to keep abreast of what's, what's going on in the world. Because what I have found is I try to be disconnected. It's kind of hard in my, in my, uh, in my uh, 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 world because of the work that I do uh, aside from doing these interviews um, but we just allow ourselves we, we open it up to being bombarded by all of this stuff and I've come to the conclusion that I don't need to be bombarded by all this stuff I already know about man's inhumanity to man I don't need to be reminded I know it's there I suppose you could say I even feel it okay and I'm not going to personally and individually, I'm not going to change that uh, because it's not within my individual power to do that because that then interferes with other people's free will, among other things. Plus, it's a waste of my energy because I could be doing more constructive things. Uh, and how in the world would I stop man's inhumanity to man in the first place? I mean, I wouldn't even know where to begin from the, from the material standpoint. But I'm kind of with you on that. But is Im- uh, immersing oneself in the natural world uh, a, good, a good way to uh, become more embodied, if you will? Is that kind of what we're talking about here in, in one sense? Um, I find connecting with nature to be beneficial on multiple levels. And so in the conversation about being an empath... I love nature because it helps me reconnect with myself. Uh, You know, as empaths, it's easy for us to merge and blend with other people, meaning it's harder for us to figure out where we end and the next person begins. So it can be challenging for us to know who we are and stay in our center. So, you know, nature is a great place to discharge, especially connecting directly with, you know, the earth or hugging a tree or just, you know, making contact. There's a there is a natural discharge that happens of, of the disharmonious frequencies in our body. And being embodied, it, you know, if we have, you know, because almost always our, our 
our reason for being partially disembodied is going to trace back to some experience we had with one or more humans. And so in general, not for everybody, but most people feel like in nature they can be more themselves. They can let down, they can connect, they can let their biorhythm slow down. They, they feel more safe. Now that's not, I know that's not everybody's experience with nature. Some people who are you know, raised in cities or like, I don't know, mm. you know, I don't want bugs or, you know, whatever. Like, yeah. but, but in general, um, nature is a, is a great salve. Well, I encourage people to get out into nature. Um, we actually, on this particular station, run a lot of PSAs regarding getting out to the forest. It's not that far away. And, and in our cases, well, we live in the forest, which may or may not be a smart move in the in in light of uh, a lot of the problems we've had in California over the years with the uh, wildfires, which is interesting. They don't call them forest fires anymore. But when I was a kid growing up, that's what they were called forest fires. Mm-hmm. Now they're wildfires. And I'm wondering uh, if, uh, because I believe in the power of words, if maybe we should go back to forest fires instead of calling them wildfires so that they won't go quite so wild. I don't know. It's, it's just me. It's a thought I had, and I pass it on to whoever wants to use it. What I'm going to ask you to do, folks, is stay with us. We're going to continue talking with Stephanie Redfeather, and we're going to talk more about uh, this work that she is doing and about embodiment. Uh, and how you might be able to uh, get beyond the feelings of depression and being spacey and having trouble focusing and having difficulty, uh, just having a, a difficulty making decisions and exhaustion and all kinds of other other fun stuff that humans have. As we continue talking here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, I'm Richard Dugan. Stay tuned. Tell me your stories, I'll do my best. Understand you. And welcome back to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I appreciate you staying with us as we continue talking with uh, our very special guest who is uh, uh, coming to us uh, via via Skype, and uh, we thank her so much for joining us. Uh, uh, Reverend Stephanie uh, uh, Redfeather, we thank you so much for, for sharing with us again. Uh, this, this aspect of embodiment, and I know that there are a lot of folks who are probably... Uh, struggling a little bit with this concept only because from their standpoint, this may be the first time they've heard of something like this, Mm -hmm. Uh, that this is, you know, this is almost, you might even say contrary to what they've been told and taught from whatever philosophy they may be coming from. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I'm thinking that maybe um, we need to take a look at, uh, while we're while we're here, take a look at ways in which we might be able to um, elucidate a little bit more for people, or show that there have been in the the, the various philosophies there have been teachings about staying quote unquote grounded, uh, and and it's almost literally. The ground, the surface on which my feet are are resting on right now, in terms of uh, I, my wife and I actually had had a little bit of a humorous uh, take on this because she would tend to she would tend to float away. She would tend to like a like a hot air balloon, you know, untethered. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she asked me many years ago. She says, "I need you to make sure that I don't 
drift off somewhere. So I am her tether. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I am her grounding, or at least I used to be. She's much more capable of doing that for herself now than ever before. But um, we talked about obviously connecting with nature. That's that's a, that's a big deal. Uh, and also, I think uh, another another method uh, that you can maybe share with us is uh, getting into some kind of practice, and you could call it a hobby too, for that matter, that focuses your energy and your attention back to yourself, and and. The reason I was saying earlier about how a lot of the philosophies have been all have been focused more on if they deal with the chakras, for example, or the the energy, they deal with those higher chakras, and it's it's if they tell you, and that's where you want to be. That's what that's what the practices that we have in our philosophy are trying to teach you is so that you can stay in the fifth, sixth, and seventh chakras, and maybe that eighth one that resides above the head, and on and on and on. When in, when in reality, we are human beings and we have to live here, but we need to wake up. We need to be more conscious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are a lot of ancient uh, religious traditions and practices that place greater value on the upward direction of movement or what Anadea Judith, who's a an expert in the chakra system, she calls that the liberating channel. And so practices that would have you deny experiences of the body or belief systems that say, you know, everything about us is sinful uh, or that lower emotions, no, you don't, that's unevolved. You don't want to feel anger or, you know, despair or anything like that or practices that focus on being one with creator, all of those, you know, and and let me just back up and say, I don't think that practices to connect with spirit and to experience our oneness are bad. I don't think they're wrong, but the, the subtle implication and sometimes not so subtle in these teachings is the body doesn't matter. The body's not important. The body is lower. The body is base. It is not as valued. And so, you know, I do a lot of those spiritual practices, but I also do embodiment practices because my feeling is if if we're not in our body, if we're not, if we don't have our own personal tether to the earth, if we don't have our own energetic root system connected then we're we're essentially just kind of floating. We're not going to be as effective. We're going to have difficulty manifesting and bringing things through into form and even feeling our full life force energy moving through us and experiencing the bliss of the body. You know, I, I think the point is to take our spiritual awareness and practice and bring it all the way down into our body and ground it and connect it into the earth. And that's a different experience than just focusing on the upward current. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's combining the two. It's, it's embracing in the, in the case of the chakras, for example, it's embracing all seven of them, uh, not embracing the lower three or four exclu- in, ex- in exclusion of five, six, and seven. Uh, 
mm-hmm. but embracing all of them so that you become a more well-rounded, conscious being living, living in this world. And yet at the same time, I'm sure you've had this experience, and this is one of the reasons I mentioned hobbies in particular, is when, when, when I'm working, like when I, I used to build models as a kid and into my teens, um, to my brother's consternation, because they were all flying vehicles, and I would hang them from the ceiling, and I would screw eye bolts into the plasterboard and block out the light that was in the ceiling. <laughs> so we needed desk lamps. Um, but when I was building a model, and at the same time I was listening to a book, long before Audible was ever Audible, um, I was in this zone and we hear about that with sports figures. We hear about that in many instances with, with people who are in the arts, whether they're uh, on stage and what have you, or whether they create art, for, you know, paintings or sculptures or whatever it is that they create. Uh, and, and in many other instances, and in some instances, some people will walk up to them, start talking to them, and this person is totally oblivious to that person because they're so into what they're doing. And they're, they're so a part of that process. And I, I'm wondering, is, is that part of disembodiment or embodiment? Mm-hmm. I, I so love that you brought that up. Um, I think of that zone as a state of flow. And so there's, there's a, a couple ways to think of it. When you're in that state of flow, I think of that as being uh, that there is, there is no... Um, stones in your pathway if you if you know that old blues song mm-hmm. <laughs> you know there's um, nothing blocking the flow of divine inspiration moving all the way through you and you expressing like just being an absolute expression of that divine whether it's in physical performance or artistic pursuit or, you know, creative ideas or innovation, I find that to be a very high frequency state of embodiment because you're in this flow where you are connected and bringing spirit down into matter and nothing is getting in the way and it's just this zone, as you say. So it's it's subtle, but it's it's not the same as being disembodied, but, but what it can also create is a... Um, I'm not sure I've got the best words for it. It's like existing on a slightly different dimension. And so, you know, when you talk to somebody who's in the flow, sometimes you get a bit of a glazed look or they're maybe not tracking exactly what you're saying because they're so in that state of flow that that's all that they're aware of. And so that that is a a beautiful, amazing experience. And for some people who live in that state of flow, it might take some skill or some awareness for them to remember to eat <laughs> or to, to bathe or to take care of themselves. So it's it's slightly different than disembodiment, um, but I love that you brought that up. Well, I tell you, I, I find myself in that state every once in a while, uh, sitting in front of my computer and editing, especially a long-form project, whether it be an audio book or somebody's program. 
or even my interviews, which, as I said earlier, I don't edit. I do them as if I were live. And I learned years ago that if I do them that way, uh, then if I do a live show, which I've done before, uh, I don't have to worry about saying something stupid because I won't be able to go back and edit it out if I do say something stupid. Uh, When we have conversations, and of course I know the proper words that not to use on radio and television, uh, podcasts, I can say anything I want, but I still, uh, you know, am, am respectful uh, of the uh, the guests and the listeners in that respect because I don't need to use that kind of language. But um, it's just amazing. It really is. And, and there's got to be some incredible biochemical exchange going on within my body and anybody's body when they're in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, I think, too, going back to my example of one being disembodied and, you know, going in, getting in the car and from point A to point B, and they don't even realize when they got there how they got there, mm-hmm. um, that um, when I get in the car these days, I try to stay mindful of what an incredible opportunity I have. Because I haven't been driving. I've only been driving since I was 38, and I'm almost 60. I didn't get my license when I was 16. I couldn't see well enough. And mm-hmm. I never expected, although I wanted it for a period of time, to learn to drive, to get a driver's license. I figured I'd be safer than most of the drivers out there, even with my visual impairment. But it's a mindfulness of driving on the 101 out here going, wow, look where I am. This is, inc- this is still just as incredible as it was 20, uh, 22 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of people, don't they, uh, they kind of disconnect with those milestones. It's not to say we want to live in the past, but of thinking of those milestones that came along that have propelled them to where they are today, hopefully in what we would call a good place. But at the same time, you know, it's like, um, being grateful for where you are, no matter where it is, because there are those who have been in some pretty horrific places, as as we would surmise, as we would judge, pretty horrific places, and yet they had this incredible gratitude. Uh, uh, you know, I think of um, uh, I think of. Um, uh, Anne Frank, I think she was uh, of that mindset that as bad as it was, I mean, she was with family, mm-hmm. you know, for, for what that's worth, I guess. I, you know, some people on the outside would say, well, yeah, but look where she was with family. I said, yeah, but she was with family. And that gratitude can, you know, turn your perspective around. It doesn't necessarily change your circumstances, but at least you're not going, you're not going mentally and emotionally crazy. In one sense, you know, uh, disembodying, isn't that what happens with a lot of folks? And they get into those, those, those uh, bad traumatic, situ- traumatic situations. Yeah, yeah. yeah. they yeah. disembody. And that's, mm-hmm. that's just what I was talking about a little bit ago. That yeah. it is, you know, leaving our body is a coping mechanism. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, when applied over a long period of time, it can rob us of um, feeling and applying our full life force energy and um, having a, the, the blissful experiences that are available to us in a body. 
Um, and, you know, one of the, the, the things that I understand people might be saying is, well, I didn't even know embodiment was a thing. I I'm, think I'm doing fine without it. Why should I care? <laughs> yeah. And to that, I would reply, are you really doing fine? And, and I bring up the example of there are so many diseases and conditions that the symptoms come on so slowly that we don't recognize a clear distinction. You know, like, I'm more tired than I used to be, or, um, you know, I don't have the endurance that I used to have, or I can't, you know, whatever. It's like we just sort of accept it because we can't, the, the change didn't happen quickly enough for us to have that sort of clear black and white, oh, <laughs> oh, I'm disembodied. Uh, wow, that feels really different. You know, I, I offer the example of the boiling frog parable. Oh, yes. Go you ahead. know, it's a, it's a perfect example. If, if embodiment was like the boiling frog parable where you, you boil water, you drop a frog in, and their system registers the water as hot and life-threatening, and they jump out. But these kind of slow-onset diseases and conditions or slow-onset disembodiment is like putting the frog in the pot with tepid water and turning it up to a boil so slowly that the frog adjusts to the temperature and it gets to the boiling point and the frog doesn't recognize it as being harmful or dangerous and the frog dies. Mm. One of the, it's one of those, um, those things that um, nature actually teaches us. Uh, my first wife, totally blind, had a guide dog. And uh, one morning we were out taking a walk. We're just taking a walk. <clears throat> and uh, we came across this house that had a fence around it. So we didn't think anything of it. And, of course, we're just walking by. And these two pit bulls came racing around the corner outside the fence. And they lunged for the dog. One of them grabbed the dog around the throat underneath the chin. And the other one grabbed the dog on the shoulder. And they just held on. And, of course, I'm down, and I, I, not knowing how stupid this was at the time, how dangerous, I guess I should say, I get down on my hands and knees, and I'm beating these dogs off. I'm trying to get them off of this, uh, the, off of the dog, off of the guide dog. Uh, finally, we were able to get them off. But the whole time, from the instant they latched on to her, she just sat down and didn't make a sound. Didn't make a sound. And obviously left the body because it wasn't a safe place to be. And then, of course, we got the dog to the vet and made a full recovery. It was almost as if it never happened, which was really quite remarkable. Oh. Right. Mm -hmm. Really miraculous. But nature does that, too. The animals, the animal kingdom does that, too. And I would venture that. Uh, from our perspective, predator prey, that the prey probably does the same thing once it knows, eh, it's over. I, I guess I, I'm, I'm done, <laughs> you know, uh, and I'm going to be assimilated here uh, into someone else and uh, keep the circle of life going. So I'll leave the body now. And uh, that's probably uh, how that works. And they just they just know how to do that when it's appropriate. But they don't get, as you stated, they don't get stuck in it. Mm hmm. And that's the yeah. big difference. Animals are amazing that way, yeah. Yeah. 
So going, let's go back up to, to um, the evolutionary empath. And just a reminder to our listeners uh, that you can go to bluestartemple.org and uh, find out more about uh, both this, this, uh, this paper that, uh, uh, that uh, Stephanie has uh, put together. Reverend Stephanie Redfeather has uh, created for you, and she has created it for you so that you can uh, learn how to stay in a state of embodiment uh, for, I guess, longer periods of time. And, and I would have to say that probably... When when we get emotional and I'm I'm still working on it, but I know I'm got I've gotten a lot better at my frustrations on the highways and byways of this great land of ours. Uh, But there are still times when I want to use the horn so bad and I'm getting better at not doing that and just saying, you know, hey, just back away. Don't even get involved in their disembodied movements. I'll call it. (laughs) And that way you stay safe, you stay embodied, you stay focused on what's going on around you, allow your intuition to guide you, so on and so forth. Uh, and then you'll get from point A to point B safely, and they will get to from point A to point B, hopefully safely, uh, if they wake up sometime soon. Um, but let's talk about uh, the empath. I-, I think I asked you this earlier uh, about um, the aspect of empathy or not empathy but being an empath uh there was a a wonderful star trek episode the original series where they actually had a a woman who was uh, an empath but i mean she was full on where she just didn't uh, connect with you emotionally and maybe intellectually but she took on your stuff physical stuff your Mm -hmm. physical ailments and then would discharge them uh Mm -hmm. and i thought wow that's that's pretty pretty wild yep. and cool yet sad because i think she i don't i don't think she made it through the to the end of the episode uh we don't want to go quite that far but what about uh, uh again let's talk a little bit about our population approaching eight billion people um do we have eight billion empaths at a lot of different levels or if if not is it because of the lack of embodiment uh, because they're so disembodied and they're so f- wound up in all of that other stuff. Um, I would say, you know, the uh, the empaths are still quite a minority on the planet and that it's not so much a function of how embodied people are as I would point to the level of consciousness of individuals and therefore the collective. You know, like the the collective vibration of humanity is raising. We are in a cycle of ascension. There are there are lost, if you will, subtle energies and information and technologies that are coming back to us. And so I like to think, you know, that it's called the evolutionary empath because I believe that empaths are here to help humanity evolve to the next level of consciousness. We show up on the planet with a slightly different energetic physiology with refined sensitivities, with a, a slightly different vision of human community. And so we are, you know, kind of the way showers, if you will. And, and we're finally incarnating in greater numbers because it's time that there's enough critical mass reached in the vibration of the, the collective consciousness that 
um, it's time for us to, to be here again. There are some folks, too, who are frustrated, anxious, they're, they're disembodied to the extent that they actually choose to literally leave the body. Mm-hmm. And, you know, our society has placed a negative on that, that, oh, no, 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 you cannot do that. Uh, you know, that's bad. That's illegal. It's wrong. You'll go to hell, et cetera, et cetera. And yet at the same time, I'm sitting here thinking, well, wait a minute. Don't they have, don't they have the, the right to free will, their own free will to make the choices that they want to make? And here we are trying to stop them. Uh, what are your thoughts in that regard? Are you talking about people committing suicide or, you know, to, to end this existence? Or can you be more specific? Uh, suicide is one. Mm-hmm. But also, I, uh, and a brief example, <clears throat> I was interviewing uh, um, a, gen- a woman back in 2000, 2001, 2002. And um, she shared with me the story of how she was this, the caregiver for this 94-year-old woman who was who was still able to get up and move around and do all the things that she wanted to do. And one day she came to my friend and said, you know what? I'm 94 and you know what? I've, I've done everything I want to do. I want to leave. Will you help me? She wasn't depressed. Uh, She wasn't suicidal. Mm -hmm. Uh, She didn't have any mental disorders as far as, you know, as far as I'm aware. And my friend assisted her in leaving. Because she says, I'm done. There's nothing more that I want to do. I've done all that I want to do here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't subscribe to the belief that um, suicide is sinful, that you'll go to hell. To me, it's all just choice. You know, what what do you want to experience in this lifetime? It may have been uh, an option created at a soul level. Like, okay, I want to set up an incarnation for me because I want to experience what it's like in a human body to take my own life. Mm-hmm. That's a very different way of looking at things than, you know, especially, you know, fundamental <laughs> religious beliefs. Sure. But to me, it's just all choice. And I and I honor as, as much as, as possible. I'm human, too. I honor people's truth. What, you know, I, I, am, I have done a lot of personal work on inner authority, and my belief is that nobody is an authority over you. Nobody has greater authority. Nobody knows you better than you. And so if that's your truth, if that's your choice, mm-hmm. then I'm, then I'm going to honor that because I might have an opinion about what you're doing. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's in the end, it is your choice as a I, sovereign being. I find it laughable, but not in a humorous way. Those who are opposed to, uh, you know, the opposite of how you and I think and, and, and maybe even believe. that That's not OK, but it is absolutely positively OK for an individual to embark on particular activities or ingest particular substances in their body that we have determined as a society will kill you and that that's okay. Uh, I, I, it's like, really? It's not okay if you do it instantaneously. Right now, pills, 
jump off a bridge, hang yourself, whatever the method is. But it's perfectly okay to suck in that smoke, to drink gallons and gallons of alcohol, uh, to drive faster than you're supposed to on the roadways, and eventually that's going to kill you. We know this. We have the statistics. We have the scientific evidence to prove it. And yet that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we live in a world of a lot of juxtaposition, for sure. Oh, I like the word. <laughs> One of my favorite words, juxtaposition. Uh, I also like dichotomy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I got, I got you covered. I got both of those today. <laughs> there you go. There you go. This is, this is, to me, fascinating because... I know that when doing these interviews, uh, you and I and my other guests and I, we, I am sure we become empaths of one another as we move through the hour. And that there is a, a, an exchange, there's that exchange of energy, if you will, even if it isn't spoken, but yet it comes out through the conversation. And I've only had one interview that I can recall off the top of my head, and it was a few years back, where uh, I was I had I ended up getting laid up in bed for three days because I worked for uh, twenty one days straight, and I will not do that again. Mm. But I came into the station thinking, okay, I have an interview this morning, and I'll just I'll I'll bring the mic low and I'll lay my head on the counter and I'll ask the questions, and and I sent the audio file to a friend of mine who is a wonderful sounding board and i said i want you to listen to this and tell me if you think i should even air this and he said after listening he says no that's not you you don't want to air that interview yeah you did a good job but mm-hmm. it doesn't sound good from your standpoint so i didn't uh, i've had this person back on the on the radio uh, on the program bef- again we did another interview, so obviously we, 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 we took care of that. But um, when, when you are working with people, when you are out, say, giving workshops or classes or sessions or whatever that, that this may be, are you able to and do you uh, or maybe it's I don't know if it's a conscious thing that you can, I don't know, put the shields up and then down again. Um, do you pick up on these people immediately or is this something that they open up to you? How, how does, how does, uh, Stephanie Redfeather connect with the people that she works with, uh, in this, in this regard of being an empath? Mm-hmm. Uh, when I first began my spiritual awakening and working with energy, I discovered that my natural gifts lie in tuning into other people's emotional and energetic beings, you know, that, that aspect of themselves. And so, um, you know, I think of, instead of putting a shield up and taking it down, I just think of my energetic boundary being a semi-permeable membrane. And so in any given time, I'm giving it instructions as, about, as to what to deflect or keep out and what to let pass through that, that benefits me but also keeps me safe. And so um, I definitely uh, feel the energy of individuals that I work with as well as groups um, in groups, you know, some people's energies are going to speak more loudly 
mm-hmm. it's it's almost like, um, you know, when it, when I work with an individual, oftentimes I will say, you know, what what do you think you're here to work on, <laughs> and then it usually turns out that we will we will kind of go a different route or something entirely. Uh, unconscious to them comes out because it's like, okay, this is the part you're conscious of that you're telling me you're here to work with, but I'm going to look at what's under that and what's under that and what's under that. And so it's almost like those pieces underneath are like, Ooh, she hears us. She sees us. Ooh, ooh, Mr. Kata, Mr. Kata. If you <laughs> ever watch, you know, like, <laughs> uh, you know, so, so sometimes those are how people's energy speak to me like, ooh, ooh, I got something to say. <laughs> um, but, you know, what I've also learned as a facilitator is, you know, I consciously tune into the energy of a group so that I can, that I can meter how everybody's doing how what I'm doing is landing for them if it's if it's if their energy if the energy's flagging in the room if we need to spend a little more time with something or if we're ready to move on and so I'm I'm managing that at a subtle subtle level all the time and then I will also just ask I'm like okay here's what I'm feeling in the field does does this feel like a good thing to do do you want to do this do you need to do that you know so that I can tend to everybody's needs and so it's and I don't mean that in a codependent way because each person is responsible for their own energy but when I'm working with a group with a conscious intention of leading a workshop or whatever as a facilitator I take the responsibility of setting the energetic field for the work and for the group what about energy they call them energy vampires. Do you ever have any of those in the group? And are you able Sweetly. to pick them up? Certainly. <laughs> <laughs> Say the magic void and win a prize. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, so part of it is just recognizing that the people are, are operating from their wounds. And especially a lot of times with the work that I do, we're, we're going deep. We're, we're mucking around in our psyches. Um, we're talking about painful experiences, wounds, traumas, and so I know that can make people feel very vulnerable. And so a lot of times the, the wounded inner child is going to act out or, you know, they, they start employing their strategies. And that's just how we are as humans. So part of it is just acknowledging, hey, don't take it personally. And then, you know, just learning tools to shut that down. Like if I, if I feel energetically them trying to do something, I'll just lovingly block them. Not like... Not, you know, so it's, it's the difference between energetically flipping somebody off, that's aggressive, you know, passive aggressive, unnecessary, I'm not trying to throw it back in their face, I'm just lovingly putting up a wall saying, I will not engage. Mm. <clears throat> and this can all, this, this conversation, if you will, is all happening at an energetic level. And a lot of times, because I carry that in my field, people who other people might have trouble with, I don't have trouble with that person because their energy field is automatically reading my energy field and going, Oh, she's not going to (laughs) play, you know? So, so I think that happens too as well. I had an experience many years ago in a personal growth and development program called life spring. This goes back to 19, I think it was 81 pretty sure it was 81. I was 21. I had made an attempt to move to Idaho. 
And I left Phoenix on an airplane on the 21st of June, which was in one sense a big mistake. Because when I got to Boise, the sun was still up. And it seemed like it was never going to go down uh, because we had we were we were in the middle of summer and and all of that. And uh, it was, I think, nine o'clock before the sun went down up there. <laughs> anyway, um, I came back uh, at the behest of a dear friend of mine who I have been searching for for a number of years. Found her on uh, LinkedIn. Uh, Jean joins if anybody knows her. She was the manager of the very first radio station that I ever worked for. Anyway. Um, see if I don't lose my train of thought here. Um, and I came back and I went through the, these, these programs. And one of the interesting things that I found was I met this gal who, uh, and bear in mind, I was 21 at the time. So, you know, it gives you an idea where my mindset was, but I, I came across this one woman who throughout the entire Three levels that I went through over the course of uh, probably nine months, nine months or so, wouldn't give me a hug, period, zero, nothing. And at first I took it personally. I thought, oh, man, what, you know, what's wrong with me, blah, 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 blah. I got a hug from every other person in the program, not her. And someone finally told me, they said, well, it's probably because you either behave like or look like somebody who injured her in some way. And at that moment, I realized, oh, wow. Okay, so it's not me. It's her. And there's nothing wrong with her. It's just that's where she's at. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's part of the uh, becoming aware of understanding and being more consciously an empath is that it is not you. Uh, you have to learn how to differentiate between you and and them. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, you talk about how you, you know, you can, you know, you do this, you pick this up, pick up on these things in these workshops and seminars and 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 obviously one on ones and so forth. And you, you, what was it you phrased? You phrased it. You, 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 create a protective and safe space. How, what was that term that you used in terms of, of uh, uh, um, uh, doing that so that the container, the container, yeah. Hmm? Um, but I know that that like I my example of my wife and and her thinking it was her all for for so long. Um, is that is that where a lot of even though, as you say, there's a a small minority on the planet, um, would you say most of them are probably in that space where, oh my God, what's wrong with me? Uh, for sure. I mean, for for people who don't recognize they're an empath, or maybe they're just coming to that awareness and sorting out, okay, what is this? How do I get support? What does this mean? Uh, yeah, I mean, it is it just the way our human existence works right now is that we are going to live from the shadow aspects or the unhealthy aspects of being an empath, which means when we don't know we're an empath, but we still have all of our sensitivities, you know, we usually experience codependence, losing ourselves in relationship, not knowing where we end and the next person begins, putting everybody else first, being a doormat, not standing up for ourselves, 
being completely overwhelmed, uh, our nervous systems getting overloaded, and, and on and on and on, depending on how it shows up for you individually. Mm. Well, I, th- I would highly recommend that people uh, get a copy of your book, uh, The Evolutionary Empath. Uh, that sort of implies the title actually sort of implies that the the role, if you will, or the aspects of being an empath have have changed over the centuries. Well, it's more about it's time for us again. You know, like like even a hundred years ago, there were not many empaths on the planet because the, the level of consciousness, the vibration of the planet couldn't sustain that level of sensitivity. You know, there were specific pockets, uh, you know, maybe certain cultures um, that lived that way, a lot of times indigenous cultures uh, or people who were the, the prophet, if you will, or the... Um, the minister, you know, like if it's a specific position in society, then it then it's more acceptable. Like, oh, okay, well, there, you know, that's a man of God, and so he's going to have sensitivities that we don't have. But for the most part, if you just showed up on the planet as an empath, uh, there's a good chance that you became an alcoholic. Uh, you know, were committed to a, a sanatorium. People outcast you from society. I mean, it was it was really a harsh environment for empaths even in 100 years ago or 150 years ago. So it's it's more about we're at a point in our evolutionary consciousness and our, our vibration where it is time for the particular configuration of the empath to be um, to, to be able to thrive again. It sounds to me also like uh, uh, empaths uh, might have actually gotten caught up in the whole Salem witch trials and so forth too, because they could, re- so to so to speak, I'll just use this term, they could read other people, mm-hmm. and someone might say, "Oh my God, you're you, you know you're you're of the devil, you right? Know, you're a right. sorceress, yeah. you know, yeah. kind of thing." Yeah, and that's what I was talking about. That I believe that template exists in all of us. That it's actually our natural state of being to be able to communicate. And, uh, you know, exchange on these subtle levels. But there's been so much in terms of, you know, belief systems and values, et cetera, of the different cultures and all of that that just um, uh, are threatened by it. Yeah, that's the one of the things that I find so interesting is, um, you know, when I get into conversations in this regard, because um, especially of those things that that certain segments of our society are fearful of certain segments of the society that other segments are afraid of. Right. Mm -hmm. And my first question to them is, do you actually believe that their goal is to convert you? They're going to come in and they're going to convert you. Uh, Is your faith that weak or is your relationship that unstable that they could actually do that? And let alone that you think that they would actually want to do that, um, you know. And and I just find and, and I just find the logic. Well, there is no logic when it comes to fear and why people are afraid. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sometimes that particular argument doesn't doesn't work at all. It doesn't help at all because if we're trapped in our fear, we're trapped in our fear. Mm-hmm. Um. 
how how should I, beyond what I've already shared with you, uh, or, or let me let me back that up. Why would I seek out an empath? Why would I seek you out? What what is it that I would want to achieve if I were to go to uh, bluestartemple.org and seek out Reverend Stephanie Redfeather, uh, the empath? Mm-hmm. Well, I am a spiritual guide. I help people through just spiritual crises, spiritual growth, spiritual awakening, and that can show up in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, so it's not like I just specialize in money trouble or specialize in relationship trouble or specialize in, you know, it's, it's like, you know, I, I try to share as much of myself as I can so that when you see me, read my words, interact with my website, you can, you can determine if there is a resonance. Cause I know that's a big thing in working with a, a teacher or a guide mm-hmm. is, do you feel a resonance with them? Mm-hmm. So, um, but I am also somebody, uh, you know, kind of like a velvet hammer. So it's like, if you're not ready to do your spiritual work, if you're not ready to look at the hard stuff or go deep, I'm not your gal because I will, I will help you get there but I'm going to be honest with you, not not brutally honest, not brutal, not mean. You know, it's not about making you wrong or making you feel bad, but I'm going to hold up a mirror. I'm going to ask you hard questions. I'm going to show you potential aspects of yourself. And I have a boatload of tools to help process that, move you through it, heal it, work with it, understand it. What role does your intuition play? Uh in the earlier part of my life, it was this thing that tried to get my attention and I ignored it. <laughs> and, and once my spiritual awakening began and I really came to understand and accept myself as an empath and do my own inner work and, and transform and heal, it is, it is a part of me. It is not something separate from me. I don't think of it as something I even... Uh, like pick up and use like a tool and then when I'm done I put it down. It is something that is on, if you will, that it is it is an integrated part of who I am, how I interact with the world, how I make decisions, how I do relationship, all of it. Hmm. Well, Reverend Stephanie Redfeather, I want to thank you so much for joining us. And um, I guess there is one final question I want to ask you in regards to the overall interview, but I wanted to focus on, uh, I don't know if this is referred to as your last name or not, but how did you come to be known as Redfeather? Yeah, Uh, it is a spirit name that was given to me in a vision when I was working with one of my shaman teachers a number of years ago. And so I used it in spiritual circles for a while. And then when I got married in 2011, I still had my first husband's last name. So I didn't want to bring that into the new marriage. And I no longer subscribe to the practice of taking on my husband's last name, which my current husband is cool with. Mm-hmm. And I felt complete with my maiden name. So I'm like, uh, spirit, I need a last name. And they're like, uh, you got one. You know? I'm like, oh, really? Isn't that weird? You know, so I went through this whole internal process around it. But when I got married, I uh, legally changed my last name. Hmm. Well, I I am delighted that uh, you have uh, shared this hour with us. 
as well as talking about this aspect of embodiment. Mm-hmm. Um, it is an aspect, uh, if not in total, of being grounded, um, not so much in this world, but as an individual in the body. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet it's not, a, it's not an issue of giving carte blanche to giving into all of the the physical desires that one would have, whether it be eat, drink, or physical, whatever. Um, but it's about achieving balance, balance uh, from, from uh, chakra one to seven, and then everything in between and even those outside that realm. I remember reading the book Joy's Way at the behest of my mother, um, and I was actually a little surprised after hearing that, oh, there are seven chakras, and there's the root, and there's that, da, 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 and yours is the blue, and it's the throat, and that's your focal point. And, and then, of course, there's the crystal at the top of the head. That's number seven, and da-da-da-da. And then I read Joy's Way, and I'm going, wait a minute. You mean there are more? And they're all <laughs> over the body? And they're considered minor, and they're at the joints in particular? But there are others between the joints? And, on, and I'm going, okay. So <laughs> I tried to put that all together in a context. I tried to, if you don't mind me putting it this way, connecting the dots mm-hmm. or the chakra points, connecting those to try to figure out uh, what does this mean? And basically, from my perspective, what it means is, yes, we are energetic beings. We exude energy. And what is the choice that we're going to make as to what energy we are going to send out? What is our intent Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that's, that's a real critical question that each one of us has to ask. And it's a question we have to ask constantly because, you know, we go through our daily lives and we get diverted and, di- and distracted, et cetera, et cetera, uh, from what it is that we really want to do. And uh, so we have to stop and, oh, wait a minute, uh, what am I putting out and what is it I really wanted to put out? Okay, so now I need to pull it all back in again, refocus. Okay, send it out. All right, I'm good now. Uh, <laughs> and, and I think that's kind of what, what you're talking about, especially as an empath, picking up on other people. Uh, it seems to me like there's, a, there's a, a, a lesson for us to be learned there that just because you're feeling the way you are right now doesn't mean you're going to feel that way tomorrow. I mean, I'm, I can attest to that fact. Uh, that uh, yesterday I was feeling a little frustrated, and today I'm feeling pretty good. Now, I wish that I could control that better regardless of circumstance. That's Now, there's the learning and the experiencing that I want to get to because I know that we draw to us those kinds of energies that we're putting out. And when we get stuck in our fear, which is usually where the emotions go, then we tend to draw those fearful experiences to us. It's like, okay, I would like to stop doing that, please. You know? Yeah. So I thank you so much for sharing uh, this aspect, as well as your book, The Evolutionary Empath. And also, people can get a copy of uh, your article. What, and, and it's about embodiment. But what is the title of the, uh, of the document? Yeah, it's the Embodiment How-To Manual and Workbook. It's a 50-page interactive document to help you explore and understand your level of embodiment. Yeah. And there, there is a chapter about embodiment in The Evolutionary Empath, and this expands on that. Absolutely. And I have a copy of that uh, uh, manual, the 50-page manual as well. And I actually started reading it just the other day, uh, just trying to get through it. And it was like, wow, 
Boy, this just, I mean, it was speaking to me from the standpoint of my own experiences with my wife and her empathic abilities. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, wow, you know, what, what, what has she, has you got cameras around here? She been following me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to thank you so much again for joining us here on the program. I do have three final questions that I always like to ask my guests. And um, uh, before we let you go, I want to remind our listeners uh, that it is bluestartemple.org. That is the website. And the Evolutionary Empath is the title of the book. And we've, of course, been talking about embodiment as well uh, in reference to this uh, wonderful PDF that you can order uh, through bluestartemple.org. We encourage you to do that uh, and get more information as well as click on the link if you're listening to the podcast. Click on her the name, uh, her name, Steph, Reverend Stephanie Redfeather, or on the little grocery card if you're listening to the, the uh, sound cloud uh, podcast and we encourage you to listen to the podcast if this is the radio version because uh, you're going to get a whole lot more than uh, you're getting a whole lot more than you bargained for and it's a good bargain let me tell you because it's free uh stephanie let me uh, first of all say that uh, we'd love to have you in studio one of these days so if you're ever out here in california and santa barbara let us know because uh, we will uh, Thank you. we'll do an in-studio interview and and see if uh, uh, obviously distance doesn't matter when it comes to empaths, does it? It doesn't. So you're picking up on me right now just as well as if you were here in studio. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh-oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here's the first question for you, and that is, who is Stephanie Redfeather? Mm. Uh, I am... I am an instrument uh, of spirit in human form. Um, I am a a vast and endless soul. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? Mm. To help people move through their spiritual awakening and their understanding of themselves as a a subtle energy being uh, a lot easier than when I went through it myself. (laughs) And finally, what is your life's purpose? Mm. Uh, to, to be a voice, to give voice to the things that are intangible, non-physical, and subtle. Reverend Stephanie Redfeather, again, thank you for uh, joining us here on the program. And I thank you for listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Until next time, love to lol.